Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday before Shavuos, I guess. And I wanted to uh, do a little talking about the tefillahs that are coming up with Shavuos. Again, thanks to the Mishpacha Stefanski for connect, uh, sponsoring anything connected with tefillah. And just as I, as you know by now, we're working our way through the Shemona Esrei. And that has its own integrity. But when the Yom Tov come around, which don't come around too often, uh, I like to point out one or two things you might not necessarily see or understand <clears throat> in connection with the davening or things like that. Now, uh, that's why when it was on Pesach, I think I talked about that uh, famous uh, poem, from Yosef Tovelam. I thought it's interesting. I can only <clears throat> share with you what I think is interesting. Not what somebody else does. Now, when it comes to Shavuos, there are three separate units. I don't have time to do them all today. Maybe if something turns up People are interested, maybe on weekends or something. But uh, one is, of course, Akdomus. The other one is the Azharos. Akdomus has to uh, talk by itself. <clears throat> the Azharos, I started mentioning the other day on the poems, which they list the 613 mitzvahs. I tried to mention the historical background of how it arose, but um, they have integrity of their own, especially the good one, which is from Shlomo and <clears throat> But again, I'm not going to go into that now. Instead, I'm going to direct my attention to something that's probably quite obscure to most of you, if not all. Those of you who are Hasidic and say Piyutim may be somewhat more familiar with this. Uh, in my show, which is a Nusach's ride, so by the tradition of the show, they say all the long Piyutim. Oh boy. And she was to be a nightmare, so very long. But part of them are amazing. And again, that's my impression. And they're have a certain character to them. And they're actually written by the same guy. <clears throat> uh, I have in mind the following. When you do, if you have the art scroll Moxer, let's say, uh, you can see it in English also now. And I strongly advise you, if you're that type of person, listen, if you're a regular guy, as I used to be, just a regular Shibish sort of thing, so you skip to Putin. That's okay with me also. That's how I grew up. <clears throat> However, if you're interested at all, Either in davening, or if your shul doesn't do it, you're not going to do this in davening. It's too long. But if you want to see something remarkable, so that's what I call, I'm going to call your attention to. The Ashkenazic Piyutim, and these are only said by the Ashkenazim. By that I mean Nusach Ashkenaz and Nusach I'm not referring to the Sephardim. They have their own uh, prayers and so forth. But the, those at Ashkenazic background, so they have a long tradition of certain Piyutim. Now the word Piyutim is the wrong word, but it's really, uh, you know, Zulos and this and that and the other, whatever. But we'll call them Piyutim, Yotris, whether we had the right word or not. And um, what I have in mind is the epic poems that were written by an epic poet in the 900s. That's a long time ago. A guy who was a buddy of Rabbeinu Gershom. <laughs> it's a long time ago. Rabbeinu Gershom Maragolo. 
He's a buddy of his. <clears throat> so we're talking about long before Rashi. In fact, the person I'm talking about was the Rebbe of the Rebbe of Rashi. Get it? The Rebbe of the Rebbe of the Rebbe of Rashi. That's how it goes. Because he was the Rebbe of Rabbi Yakar. And then his son, student was Yaakov and Yakar. And the student of Yaakov and Yakar was Rashi. <clears throat> so it's ancient. The same way Rabbi Yosef Tovelin was ancient. So we're talking about old Ashkenaz here, baby. Old. And um, they took davening seriously. And as I've mentioned on occasion, there was a time when people liked to add poems to Shul. They wanted to give an oomph to it. Um, today, we have an opposite sensibility. You say, oh, I want to get out of here earlier. I understand that. <clears throat> but I'm talking about long ago in time of our ancestors. When they looked at feel as something different. And what's really interesting is the synagogues old did not have heating or anything like that. Uh, but they didn't mind staying long in, in, in the prayers. But they wanted original stuff. <clears throat> and so the regular davening is like the template. That's, of course, you know, Krishna, Ashman, Esri, obviously. <clears throat> but they wanted to add to it. And the place you added to it was Chazar Sashat. So where I'm getting at in practical terms for the listener is, if you get the article Machser for uh, Shavuos, uh, when I grew up, all you had by translation was the Yiddish, and myself us. That's how I grew up, with the Yiddish translations. <laughs> but now you have an art school translation, which are not perfect at all. But on the other hand, they're very good. They're, they're, they're a good step along the way. <clears throat> and I'm, now follow along with me. When you do Chazor shots of Yom Rishon and Yom Shani, so first, there's the regular type of Putin that follow a certain pattern. If you're familiar with it, you know, you said and and all that stuff. And then you get around to various poems uh, praising different aspects of the holiday. Obviously, if it's going to be Shavuos, then you're going to talk about the primordial nature of the Torah. That's usually what these the poems are about. The primordial nature of the Torah. And a lot of them, even on Yom Kippur, try to go through a sacred history. <clears throat> which means... Uh, and I'm just looking at it. I was there before the earth was created. And I gave light when the Choshik was in Pnei Tom. What is it that gave light when the Choshik was in Pnei Tom? The answer is the Torah. Get it? They're very poetic. They're very nice. But they're long. There are many pages of this. So I'm skipping, for the purpose of this podcast, the first half of many, many pages. To give you an idea what I'm talking about, it's page 226 to 246. So it's 20 solid pages of Putin. Okay? I should really take that back because every other page is English. But you know what I mean? It's a lot. But then, all those Putin are nothing but a build-up to the masterpiece, shall we say. And that's Then, you have a separate poem, which is quite long. Quite long. And the poem is an epic poem, like a Beowulf, you know what I mean? It goes on and on and on like the Iliad and the Odyssey. And it's an epic poem of the Ten Commandments. And it's composed by a very famous python that you never heard of. Because what do you know about python? What do we know in the regular from world, the regular from world, about anybody except for Rashi and Tosas? Meaning you heard of Rashi, even Tosas you don't know. You heard of Rabbeinu Tom, you heard of the Re and a few others, that's it. You know, I'm not giving a quiz how many medieval Ashkenazic rabbis do you know, but <clears throat> most of them are not known. Um, but there was a whole galaxy of them. And I'm talking about earlier than you think. 
I'm dealing with material that's over 100 years before Tosis. And actually, about 100 years or 90 years, whatever, before Rashi. That's a long time ago. The great poet of that era, who was a big time in Chacham also, and uh, like I said before, was a colleague and a buddy, Rabbeinu Gershon, who was a Godel Ador. <clears throat> so this person on top of the Godel Ador was Shimon of Mainz. Shimon ben Yitzhak mi Magenza. Mainz is a city in Germany in the Rhineland. Mainz was a Malcolm Torah Rashi learned during Yeshiva, I'll give you an example. <laughs> there were Jews over there in the 900s and so forth. There were ups and downs. There was a lot of, from time to time, some pogroms and expulsions and that sort of thing. This is a long time ago. But Ragma, Rabbeinu Gershom, you know. So he was there, and our hero, Rabbi Shimon Hagodol, was there. Rabbi Shimon Azokin, sometimes they call him. And he was into epic poems and Putim. See, he wrote a lot of the stuff that we... You don't know this. That's what I'm telling you. He wrote a lot of the Putim that you and I say, even the yeshivish, on uh, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Uh, these one-liners, especially, that you see, that they even recite in the yeshiv world. And he wrote stuff on Sukkot and mainly on Pesach and, and Shavuos. Mainly on Pesach and Shavuos. <clears throat> and what I'm talking about it's like the same. If it's Pesach, there's an epic poem on Oz Yasher. Now, they're long. And since Oz Yasher is the seventh and the eighth day of Pesach in Chutzlarz, and he was a Chutzlarz guy, so he has parallel sets of the same material. No, it's not the same poem. He just covers the ground. And you do Oz Yasher, Moshe, and then a whole stanza. And then, you know, it's Asher Azos or something like that, a whole stanza. And I'll share Shemke go go and the whole stanza. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. And it's fascinating. Now, I didn't go over this when I was with you. And in my show, we skipped them now for the corona. Because everything's abbreviated now. In Baltimore, they still have the corona, although maybe on the way out. Um, but in a typical year, uh, we say them all in my show. And similarly, when you get to the Sarasad Dibbers on Shavuos, have the same thing. One for the first day of was, and a completely separate epic poem for the second day of was. And my purpose today in talking to you is to inform you about this, and hopefully to whet your appetite, not during davening. I doubt if you're in a show that doesn't say Putin, you sure as heck ain't going to say this one. This is a mama hucha. But, um, on your own, Shavuos, you might get to show a little early, whatever. Check it out. Open up the Sidurim. I think I imagine it, it might be in the regular. I have this looks far in my shul. It might be in a regular art scroll, um, you know, regular Ashkenaz. Machser uh, for Shabbos probably is. And, you know, they keep the old uh, Putin, whether people say it or not. And this one was quite remarkable and has quite a provenance because I'll tell you again, this was from the Godel Ador in the 900s. That's a long time ago. The late In the 900s, very, very early 1000s. That's the same time as Rabbeinu Gershom. Um, he's actually famous in history for a legend, which is not true, but when I was a kid, he heard it often, and we read little Hebrew books, little Hebrew readers when I was there. <clears throat> Maybe you've seen it also. And that is, uh, his son was kidnapped and became the Pope. <laughs> you hear that? And it's a play on the theme, which did happen in Jewish history repeatedly, as late as 1858, with the Mortara case in Italy and Bologna. And that's simply that um, parents went to Shul, maybe it was Yom Kippur, and the maid was a shiksa, took them and baptized the child, and then gave him to the church. There was nothing parents could do about it. 
uh, you had these fanatic Catholic things. Such things did happen. I'm not saying it happened to our hero, but I think, you know, historians would say that uh, it got conflated around him. No, there's a kernel of truth in it. Lavdavka of Shimon, Lavdavka his son, and Lavdavka became a pope, which, you know, but things like that sort of happened, and people became uh, machers and bishops in the church. This really did happen. It's a very tragic kind of business, and it's part and parcel of the German Catholic mentality. I mentioned this to a guy uh, a week ago, a friend of mine, and he immediately sent me a clip from a German, uh, I guess it must be a TV miniseries in Germany, about a hospital in Berlin, and uh, they tried to do it in the 1880s, That's and then when the Jews already had civil rights. They tried to do it with a child of the famous uh, Ger- uh, German Jewish Dr. Ehrlich, <coughs> Paul Ehrlich, who was a Nobel Prize winner and who um, found the cure for syphilis, among other things. And, you know, he was a very big doctor and all that. And he wouldn't convert. So he was a Jew. I don't say he's from, but he was a Jewish Jew. And they showed him in this uh, TV series that he had a, ch- uh, a child, or maybe his wife was pregnant, something like that. The long and the short of this, the church, the nurse uh, wanted to convert to baptize the baby. You understand? He wanted to baptize the baby. In the 1880s. Uh, of course, he stopped it, but I'm just saying, these things are not so crazy as it sounds. Now, um, the famous Misa is that this kid was kidnapped and uh, brought up in the church. He was, he was four or five years old. He was quite aware of his Jewish identity. Being an Eloy, he rose very quickly. I'm telling you the legend. Eventually, became, he moved from this position to this position, became the Pope. And eventually, there's a very dramatic scene where he arranges to uh, send Xerus against the Jews of Mainz, realizing that his father will come to Rome to plead the case, and then through a whole bunch of with involving how you play chess. Um, him and the father re- meet each other, reveal each other, and then it depends which version of the legend you go with. He escaped and ran back to, and lived his life as a secret Jew, or they found him and killed him. You know, Kiddush Hashem. Uh, these are very famous things. Uh, it's supposed to be his son, Elchanan. Elchanan is, he did have a son, Elchanan. And Elchanan is mentioned in the Piyutim, not in ours today, but in the ones on Pesach, you know, in the acrostics and all that sort of thing. See, there's a whole world there of Piyutim and acrostics and poems <clears throat> that are just not known to the general Welt. That's a shame. Uh, it's not Gemara, that's true, but it's a, uh, what's the right word? It's a very enriching kind of knowledge of Jewish culture. So this is where our ancestors were. And to get down to brass tags, if you take a look at this poem, which is in the article on page 246, for the first day, he starts with, V'chem v'ayirid Moshem in the heart. El ha'am. So he starts with the Pasuk in Pashat Yisrael that you read that morning. And then each um, line from the Chumash is followed by, I don't know, 20 lines. Uh, let's see. We begin a series of 12 stanzas, each 22 lines long. To each of these... Each one-liner from the Chumash is followed by 22 lines of text. And um, if you just look at them as a bunch of words, you say, oh my God, it's so boring. If you actually start to read them, they're very interesting and fascinating. And Anochi Hashem al and then 22 lines. Lo Yelecho, and 22 lines. But they're rhyme, and they're sublime. And uh, I'll just give you an example. Um... 
Let me see over here. Here we go. I'm just picking at random. So what does he say? Listen to your parents. With a faithful They acquired you through davening. This is Ashkenaz in the 900s. Your parents got you because he damned Hashem, let us have a child. And they schlepped you to the bris. And your mother nursed you. You understand? They, they nursed you, they fed you. You owe your parents copies of Yisrael. But you're reciting this in Shul, the whole Shul in unison. You see? Your parents are always davening for you. That's a mother, that's a father. They're always, their prayers are always going up to, to Shemayim that you should live long. They slept you around for years when you were a baby, like a, like a maid. They put a lot of yegi into you, and as a result, they went through a lot of pain, because that's the pain of raising children. So what's he doing over here? He sang a nice poem, and it does rhyme, and the Ivrit is nice, and all the rest, and it is. But he's also conveying to you a heavy point that any person who's not a yutz should think, you know, doggone it, they earned it. You know, my parents earned it. Put up, I put them through a lot. You see? Every time you had a pain, you hurt yourself as a kid, they were in, in pain. They did their best to make you turn to, to, to worship Hashem. They gave you all their efforts to be mevonim, in other words, to, to have understanding. No, they gave you chinuch. That you should understand the Torah and the Mitzvahs. Nachlas Hona Ba'ischamaknim. They left you a wealth, which is a pasuk in in Mishlei. What's the wealth? The wealth of a good upbringing and a good name. Okay. Some Chayeser Mischanim. They always they supplied you with the age of Kenegdo. This the Middle Ages Ashkenaz. There's no dating. Your parents picked a girl for you. <laughs> That's how it goes. Mischanim, and they married you off. Asi Chabsam told us upon him. So do what they request, and don't be an ass to Lest they bring you in front of the Dayanim. No, he doesn't mean it literally. You know, he's talking about Ben Saramurah. And if you become Ben Saramurah, then the Kahal will stone you with stones. He's not saying in the year 980, then in Germany, you know, they're going to stone you with stones. He's saying morally, you get it? And be careful not to abandon them when they get in old age. Oh my goodness, this is true. When your mother and father reach advanced age, serve them like an avid services man. We know what this means. If you have an aged parent, aged parent, aged grandparents, you help them take off their shoes, put on their shoes, put you know, put on their, you know, things like that, which is, you do this, you get a rikas yama. And as a result, the years will lengthen, and you'll get to see the bonus shalom. You'd see it tell me low right? Now, what did I just do? That's the whole poem, meaning that's one stanza of like fifty of these, I guess. Goes on page after page. Not really. Once you get to the ten commandments, I mean, each one is ten. It's a grand total of ten. I should say. You know what I mean? Once you get to the ten commandments, so I would strongly advise. Now, just for the Hegwick, I'm switching over. Yom Shani, where again he had to go and do a copy of the Bible. In my opinion, it's very beautiful. 
Kabbalah Zvicha. This is for Yom Sheni. So this is Kabbalah Zvicha. Be'asi Mecha. Omen and Menekes B'chom B'sasim. Honor those who were manicu, you know, nursed you literally. B'shelchot chil keser tzvekim. And the beginning, right? B'shelchot chil keser tzvekim. Your parents united to have you. Gaias Sheva V'sachim Mefikim. They cried like crazy to Shemayim, Dorshin L'tzurim, and praying to their rock, to their creator, Hez Ben Chovkim, that they should have this chus to be Chovik Aben. This is really... Not everybody has an easy time having children. This is certainly true a thousand years ago. And realize, when we say, <clears throat> before you came along, you were the object of a lot of tefillos. They joined together as Shotem in this. And you are born in the, in the right times nine months. Again, but the words are different, but the ideas are the same. And they always hugged you and kept your uh, feet standing up, meaning they helped you in life. So you get the general idea. I'll do one more to give you a flavor of what I'm talking about. And it's Loterzach. You can never go wrong with Loterzach. That's always very dramatic. Do not kill. He says over here, Loterzach, tour of Roman. Stay away from from bloody people. Shomer believe maybe showed me. Stay away from people who keep long grudges. Because those are the people sooner or later going to kill somebody. Risha said, Marivu. Stay away from people who get together and have plots. Kachas never said, Kuzomim. And they secretly plan right, to take the Neshama from the good people. Now, there were Jewish criminals in those days. You look at Sefer Hasidim, you can see that. There were Jewish murderers. Among others, and uh, he's saying to stay away from them. So he's turned Lotirzuch into a social phenomenon, a social warning. Sofnibarmal Tamimim. These are people who are hiding and waiting to jump the Tamimim. Pach Tomim LeMeshar Pamim. They always lay traps, snares for those who go in the right derech. So you already start to get the feeling, which is, which is where he wants you to feel that it's Lotirzuch. You shouldn't murder somebody. But so, Lotirzach, don't morally murder somebody. If you, I'll use a modern terminology, which he would, of course, wouldn't use. Suppose you go and get somebody hooked on drugs. You murder them. Chances are they'll never get out of it. You screwed up their life. You know, it's not going to change. And you ruined them. You, you kill them. You lay the plot for a snare for them. You know, you, 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 you um, trap them. They're gone, right? Aldam Rab is only coming. They go, right? They 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 purposely stand by Al Damre, I should say, as someone else gets gets hurt. Says Clay Mobus Zeman, and they carry on the Clay Mobus. And he could be referring to a, a, a knife or a dagger. Or in the case I just said, just for example, there are many bad things you get somebody into. The drugs would be the Clay Mobus. You understand? Naki Rosam Bain Rahman Abdimas at Surtamin. And he goes on to talk about the fact that you frustrate God's plan when you kill somebody. The Gemara says that. God took the trouble to, to, to be buried someone in his cellar, and you put him down on the ground. And the Neshama is complaining about you. These people who kill don't or get people messed up don't have any Yerushalayim, obviously. Uh, and uh, they don't mind forcing a Nevesh to go down to the ground in the wrong time. 
Stop flattering these people. Stop kissing up to them. The blood will cry out to the heavens. This is what we find in Tanakh, you know, and this is true, we believe, of every person that's murdered by somebody else. And so on and so forth. Now I repeat, this is my good old door. I can't tell you in what high regard of Shimon and Mainz was held. I'm well aware that today, year 2021, I'm talking like from the moon, like who is this guy, and so on and so forth. And you have to, you know, read about him in some old encyclopedia or something like that. Um, what's his name? Has a long essay on him. The next one, um, my favorite medieval Ashkenaz historian, uh, Grossman, Avram Grossman. But even if not, if you are now on Shabuos, and let's say, for example, you have some time on Shabuos night on Sunday night. Maybe you have a Seder for three hours. Ah, you know, everybody's different. In my show, I just, um, this year I'm planning to do what I usually do, which is just a talk, hopefully from 12 to 5.30. That's what I usually do. You know, do partly Rambam, partly Rav Seven, partly some other stuff. Um, that's what I do. But not everybody has it. One thing you might, I'm just making a suggestion, obviously. It goes without saying. One thing you might want to do is say like this, you know, tonight on Shavuos is the giving of the Ten Commandments, or the pronouncing of them to be more exact, as I said the other day. What exactly is the Ten Commandments? Well, I mean, I know you can read the Chumash the, the, the Rashi. One way of approaching this is to read it with this uh, poetic commentary of somebody who lived well before Rashi, who's the Rebbe of Rashi's Rebbe, Rashi's Rebbe. You understand? And, um, so in each case, if you're interested in what I'm saying, I'll tell you the pages. <clears throat> because you might not be familiar with how you work your way through all these mountains of Putin. What I'm saying is, you look at the Putin on the first day and second day, you skip the first half, because they're too long for the purposes I'm saying over here. And you go to page 246, and if you want to, cut to the chase, for Anochi Hashem Elkech, which is the first of the commandments, um, go to page 248, and you'll see that. And then the second day of Yantav, you go, not to 248, but to page 484. So it's a 248 and 484. And I honestly think, you know, listen, I don't know you. Uh, I honestly think you'll find it quite fascinating. I do. Anyway. It evokes the Ten Commandments. It does so in a very poetic and nice way. You have the article translation. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be talking to you if it was just in medieval Hebrew. I mean, I don't expect anybody to know that. A lot of archaic words over there. I like it, you know, but I'm not expecting someone else to be familiar with it. But you have a translation, and translation is workmanlike. It's good enough. You know, you know, it, it's fine, and um, uh, and it's full of musr, but in a nice way. You know, not in a hit you over the head with a mallet way, and it's very thoughtful. And like I said before. I think, I hope you agree with me, that passage that I just read you, about Kavit Mecha, your parents put up with a lot of junk for you, you know what I mean? They sacrificed a lot for you, and you never think about it. You know, what was it like before you were born? They were really praying for you, they put a lot of hopes in you, and um, as he said, you know, they wore themselves out in your favor. Now, you may be at the point in life where the, you know, the situation is reversed, and they need you instead of you needing them. Uh, but don't forget, just as they were once an evid to you, because every little child, the parents are an evid, correct? 
you clean them, you wash them, you, you change them, change the diaper, you do things, then it never does. But you're willing to do it. Comes another point in life, like he says, and it could be that the, the shoe is on the other foot, as we're, you know, the situation is reversed. And as I think many people are familiar, there's a very famous medrash that says that the two most difficult mitzvahs are, um, I said that wrong, the two mitzvahs that Matan Schar Mitzilon, that the Torah tells you what the reward is, is Shiloh HaKain on the one hand and Kibbut Avim on the other. But each one, when it says Shiloh HaKain, Laman Yarichin Yamecha. And it says by Kabbalah Sevipu Yasimecha, Laman Yarichin Yamecha. So in each case, you promised Arichas Yamem, which which means quality of life, doesn't mean length of life. Uh, and um, there's a very famous Medrash, I imagine many of you have heard this, where the Medrash says, how come the Torah almost never tells you Matan Skarn Shal Mitzvah what the reward is? And that one time it does do that, it says that by a pair of Mitzvahs, which are at opposite ends of the spectrum. This is what the Chazal say, not me. Shiloh HaKain is the easiest Mitzvah to perform, and Kibbut Avim is the hardest Mitzvah to perform. You hear what I just said? Kibbut Avim is the hardest Mitzvah to perform. Um, and the reason the Medrash says is to frustrate any attempts to game the system because a clever Jew, no matter how from you are, will say like this, more bang for the buck. Tell me which mitzvahs get you more alam haba. Those are the ones I'll concentrate on, like an investor in a business. <laughs> you understand? If this only gets me three points in Shemayim and that may get me five points in Shemayim, I'm going to neglect the three points and go for the five points. And that's not what Hashem wanted. He wants to do all the target mitzvahs. There's no difference one or the other. And it's intrinsic, you know, um, uh, requirement. And, I mean, there's a pecking order sometimes between two misses, but nevertheless, each one is morally the same thing, and you have to keep them all. <clears throat> and uh, in order to frustrate any attempts to try to figure out the system, to try to game God's system, so he did something very frustrating. He took two misses, which on the face of it should not have the same scar. It should be for Kibbut of Aim, which is the most hard mitzvah to perform, as I'll say, you should get like 10 points. And for Shiloh HaKain, you should get two points, right? That makes it because there's no Tircha, right? You should get one or two points, you should get ten points. And nevertheless, it's not true. Each one gets the same amount. Let's say, let's put it, let's peg it at six points. Each one gets six points. How can it be? LMI, you don't know how Hashem operates. You get it? You don't know how Hashem operates, so don't try to be a wise guy. So what does that illustrate? Kibbut Amim is the hardest mitzvah. Um... Anyone dealing with aged parents or something that that sort of thing, grandparents, whatever, is a hard mitzvah. <laughs> it's a hard mitzvah. Um, he brought it out in this little stitch, in this little poem, uh, and he brings it out in both cases. And so, what my point is like this: it makes you think. This is my opinion. It makes you think morally about each of the ten commandments: lo tiritzach, lo tinov, lo tignov, lo shakar, and so on and so forth. Sure. We know what they mean. It can rattle them off. I get that. But to give it some kind of a, you know, uh, mature reflection is not so simple. He wrote this a thousand years ago. So that in the synagogue, the worshippers, as they sing this all together, because it rhymes and has rhythm, as it stands us, they would give mature reflection to the Ten Commandments. Surely, giving mature reflection to the Aseris Adibras on the anniversary of the Aseris Adibras is the most appropriate way to celebrate Shavuos. It's a shame that we've been in a time, you know, when Putin were out and all the rest of it. I totally understand. I get it. I'm like that myself many times. But my uh, intellectual sense uh, urges me to make you at least acquainted with this. 
And some of you listening, not everybody, some of you listening will be turned on to this the same way I was turned on. It is to those individuals that I've addressed my remarks today. And if you're interested in this subject altogether, you can look up Shimon of Mainz or Shimon Yitzchak or something like that. You'll find some interesting stories over there. I repeat, the story about the Pope is not true. But although when I was a kid, they had these Hebrew readers. I read them when I was a little child. El Hanan Amo Benom Lahashpar. I don't know how I remember those words. I was like a few years old. But they used to have these little Hebrew books that you could read with English at the bottom or something like that. You know, readers. Um, and, you know, the Jewish, HaPifyar HaYehudi, you know, the Jewish Pope. These are my salach. Um, but, it, it, but they bring out a point, right? And um, much more important than the my salach are the poems that these people actually produced. And um, anyway, I think this is a good part of, a, a, a good part of the Shavuot's experience. Um, there are other aspects. I'll see if I have the opportunity or people are interested to do about the Agdomas and the other things. But meanwhile, I wanted to vote today to the uh, epic poem, the two epic poems, Hiroshiman of Mainz, that we recite in the Shachrits, not Hazar Sashats. And with that, I wish you, wish you a good yantar. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.